Welcome to this podcast series where I talk to the artists behind the music I play on my radio shows. I host two radio shows on UKCountryRadio.com. Join me while I chat to and get to know the musicians and artists behind the music I play. Listen to their stories and their musical journeys and share some laughter and fun as you get to know the artists behind the music. Hello and welcome to this episode of Bands in the Boudoir and today I am talking to Taylor Ray. Taylor Ray was born in Santa Cruz in California, was raised in nearby Ben Lomond, and her eclectic musical journey initially took her from the Central Coast to Los Angeles. She is now in Austin, Texas, and reaping the rewards of her hard work and talent. She is a singer, songwriter, and musician, continuing to explore the ever-evolving definitions of Americana, folk, jazz, and blues. She has earned comparisons to Jones, Marin Morris, Joss Stone, and Grace Potter. Hi, Taylor, and welcome. Thank you very much for talking to me today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. It's lovely for you to be here today. So first up, you were so young when you learned your first song, the age of two, in fact. Please tell us that song and where you first heard it. The song is off Carol King's record called Tapestry and Too Late Baby. I heard it for the first time. I believe my mom had the cassette of it and she played it in the car. And and then I th- it was still playing on the radio quite a bit at the time or whatever station my mom was listening to. So every time it came on, there was just something about it that I was, I just had such an infatuation with at such a young age. And it was the first song that I memorized and I really could sing it before I could talk or even fully understand the English language. Um, But at that point, that's kind of when everyone was like, oh, yep, I think she has the performer blood because any chance I got to sit someone down and sing it for them, I was doing that. (laughs) Well, Carol Kill, sorry, Carol King is a bit of a master, isn't she? Absolutely. I mean, one of the all-time best songwriters that I mean that record is you know really special of course with an uncle that played guitar in bands and a father who played tenor sax it was inevitable that music flowed through your veins and from a young age as we've just discussed uh your first song from Carol King you started singing and piano lessons at the age of seven and you already knew that this was what you wanted to do but it was when you were eight your parents took you to a concert that really inspired you to chase your dreams fully Would you like to tell us that story? Yes. So my first concert, um, or at least that I can remember, like the turning point was 2004, no, 2002, maybe. I saw Jewel and she was performing at a venue called the Mountain Winery in the Santa Cruz Mountains, which is like this absolutely gorgeous, but intimate outdoor amphitheater. And it was just her and her guitar for three hours and she had her binder like full of her original songs and she was kind of just flipping through it and just like talking to the audience as if it was a dinner party and there was just something uh that I connected to immediately I already loved Jewel at that point but um watching her do that and connect with the audience and just share such intimate parts of her life was the moment where I was like, that's exactly what I want to do. And so um, that is what I've been doing. I mean, I perform mostly solo 
And a lot of the touring I've done this year actually reminds me so much of that concert because I try and get to the same level of vulnerability that she did mm -hmm. uh, just in my storytelling because I'm up there by myself. And um, yeah, the, the show that I want to put on uh, is equal parts music and storytelling. And I think um, she really inspired me to do that. Well, you do it very lovely. I've been watching your videos and I've been watching some of your performances and yes, your storytelling, but it's the emotion you also put in behind the stories. You're not just telling a story. You have a different emotion for each story and it really comes across beautifully along with your lovely accompaniment, you know, with your with your guitar. So, um, yeah, yeah, you really are achieving that and it's lovely. So on to your songwriting, actually, at eight, you wrote your first song. Tell me about that song. I think it was called Wake Up, and um, I hope there's no video or recording of it anywhere that's going to surface at any point. But um, yeah, I was writing a lot of lyrics um, starting in like fourth grade. Um, so I guess that was about 10. Yeah, I don't know, 8, 10. Yeah, 8, I wrote Wake Up, and then 10, by the time I was 10, I had just, like, a composition notebook full of lyrics, but at that point, um, I was still learning how to put music to it, mm -hmm. and so I wrote the lyrics to Wake Up, and I had a melody, and so my piano teacher kind of, like, harmonized it behind me, found the chord progression, and um, I ended up learning it on the piano. Um, how cool. Yeah, I didn't stick with the piano. I really didn't. Like, it just wasn't my instrument. Now I wish I would have because it would be awesome to be able to play the piano. But I was so into the guitar. But my parents did not want to get me lessons because I never practiced piano. Mm -hmm. They were like, we are not going down this road again. Um, they're like, if you want to learn, you can teach yourself. And I was like, okay. So I taught myself. And then by the time I was 12, I was, like, accompanying myself with guitar with all my original songs. Fabulous. So you also used to like performing in musical theatre. Uh, so, and, and I know you said that while well, reading about you, this really helped with you gaining your confidence on stage and performing in a live environment. Did you have any particular favourite productions that you've performed or would like to have done? So, yeah, I did musical theatre from when I was seven to 18. And um the moment where I stopped getting nervous was when I was cast as Dorothy in Wizard of Oz. Oh, wow. And so, you know, I was on stage, every scene had like multiple songs and just like hundreds of lines. And by the third performance, you know, I think we did a run of maybe like 10 or 12 shows. I, I was about 13, maybe 14. And um, yeah, by the third show, I was like, never got nervous again after that. Even performing original music, I was just like, so comfortable on the stage at that point and I think so much of it has to do with like trusting yourself to remember everything mm. like getting to know yeah getting to know yourself so well that you're like I know that I'm not going to mess this up and I trust that I'm not going to and you can kind of stop getting in your head about it so yeah that was the point and then I went on from there to do high school musical theater um had had a lot of really fun roles there we did, I think my favorite was a chorus line. Mm -hmm. And um, I played the role of Diana Morales. And right. that was really fun. So I think that was probably, yeah. I don't know if I had like 
a dream role other than that. Um, I can't really think of one now, but yeah, I miss it. I miss it. I haven't done theater since high school. So now it sounds scary. I would be nervous to audition now. Yeah, I'm sure you'll be fine. But yes, you've been out of it for such a, a long time that, yeah. Um, yeah, 10 years. Yes. But um, it would be probably a little scary. Okay, so you had your first paid gig at 15, and it appears that from then it's been quite an exciting musical journey. And pre-pandemic, you were really living your dream, weren't you, with 200 or so performances a year and constantly writing, which is obviously your real passion as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Has there been a favorite gig or gigs or favorite venue, you know, in the time that you had prior to the pandemic? Ooh, prior to the pandemic, I would say it was always the most fun playing with my band in my hometown of Santa Cruz. And there's a venue there called Mo's Alley. And right before I moved to Austin, actually, I kind of had like a farewell show. And that I think pre-pandemic, that was my favorite show. And definitely my favorite venue. The sound is just great. It's just like a little club and perfect size. And um, and it's my hometown. So yeah, I know cool. most of the people that come out there, which is always fun. Um, but yeah, the pandemic, as jarring as it was when it started, um, it really forced me into my, like doing my original music. Like, I don't know if I would have ever put out my record um, without, you know, that pause on everything, because before the pandemic, yeah, 200 gigs a year, making a really good living, but I was doing mostly corporate gigs and weddings and a lot of covers and which is great pays really well, but I could feel myself kind of being pulled away from my original music, always kind of making tentative plans to do an album. But, uh, yeah, I lost, hundreds of gigs within the span of like two days when the lockdown hit. So, you know, it was really rough for a couple, mm, six months. And I was just going through a lot of things personally as well. So um, it ended up being a huge blessing, but yeah, it has been a journey for sure. As, As a lot of people have turned that time into something very positive. And of course you would just mention in your album, and during that time, you really got to focus on your debut album, which was released last August, uh, entitled Mad Twenties. Um, so, as I say, really, really positive that you got to do that. Now, I really love the album and it's really quite autobiographical, isn't it? Very. Uh, yeah, very, very lovely. And I have my favourites, of course, but all the songs are great and brilliantly written. And I can hear personally me I can hear a lot of Bonnie Raitt and Nora Jones influences in there Um, can you tell us about the album please because it's really lovely yes of course and thank you by the those are my like top two inspirations so the fact that you can hear both of them and the album is like right just nailed it so thank you for that um yeah so the album is it is autobiographical and it kind of just takes you through my journey of this decade. So the oldest song on the album I wrote when I was 19, and that's Forgiveness. And um, while all the songs aren't about the same person or, you know, it's not in order, but each song is deeply personal. And I would say uh, 
kind of, my songwriting's not very ambiguous. Like it's very much whatever's happening in my life right then. And it's pretty straightforward. Not to say that there aren't like, you know, metaphors and symbolism in it, but yeah. So it, it ranges all the way from 19 um, to 26. Uh, the newest song before recording it was Wait and See and Taking Space. I kind of wrote those at the same time in 2020. And so, yeah, it's a bit of a concept record. I always knew I wanted to do a record called Mad 20s uh, when I was 21 and kind of coming into adulthood and realizing how difficult and uh, painful it can be to grow up. I wrote a song called Liquify, kind of about that. And the first line in the song is in our mad 20s now. And I always was like, man, that's kind of a cool concept. Maybe someday I'll have enough songs to like tell my story. And I had no idea how it was going to happen or when, and everything really fell into place. I can hardly take credit for the way things uh, all ended up landing in front of me. Um, but it was definitely meant to be, and I love this record. I'm really proud of it. And I think it's cool that, like, yeah, there's songs on there from 19, 21, 22, all the, all the years. So it really is, like, the full range, which I think is cool for a debut album because I am 28 now, but it's kind of giving you, like, where I've been for the past Ooh. 10 years. And it's kind of, like, catching everyone up so that my next record, we're, like, all on the same page. No, it's really cool. It's a really lovely album. I wondered if you could tell me the story behind Window, which is your latest video release as well. Yes. Yes. So Window is is about many different experiences kind of within the same realm. So um, I wrote it when I was kind of starting to like open up my consciousness and explore plant medicine. And so I was participating in um, a number of ayahuasca ceremonies at that time, just trying to kind of go down that avenue in terms of like self-discovery and, and healing some traumas, just bringing some things up that I knew I had to deal with, like in my early adulthood and, um, and, and ayahuasca as you know, as well as LSD and, and psilocybin. So yeah, there was like a few years there where I was having just these incredibly profound spiritual experiences. Um, and oftentimes like was met with a lot of resistance because there's obviously it's kind of like taboo and, I, ne I don't, I never use these substances to party. It was always like a very intentional ceremony because I know how healing they can be. Mm. And so when I was met with just kind of a lot of, not a lot of backlash. I mean, it was Santa Cruz, California, which is like a very accepting place, but you know, people just automatically go to a certain place in their head, like whatever they've been told throughout their life that these things do or mean. Um, and I started to realize how important it was to not judge other people's spiritual journeys because nobody's right and nobody's wrong. And whatever, however you can connect to yourself your consciousness, your spirit guide, source energy, whatever that is, is such a personal decision and such a personal journey and experience that, um, yeah, it's just really nobody's business. And I'm always happy to talk about it, but 
um, really more for me looking at other people and how they practice their spirituality. You know, I just have a sense of like ex- fully accept everyone and, and where they're at with that. Um, because the ironic thing about spirituality and religion is everyone thinks they're right. Um, but really we're all experiencing very similar things just, uh, through different mediums. Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was kind of a long answer. But no, it's a lovely answer. It really. Yeah, that's, um, that's, that was why I wrote window. And I love the video. I love Thanks. all the psychedelic uh animation that's going on there it's it really but it's it's um it's done in a really subtle way as well yeah you get the message across but you're not like faced with this complete psychedelia right but it's really really nice i love it very very nice indeed thank you um well I love them all. I mean, I, I, I really want to get on to talk to another song about another song, if you can. But I don't know which one to choose because I love Sink or Swim. I love Fixer Upper, mm-hmm. uh, the story. But can you actually let's talk about Fixer Upper? Sure. Yeah. So just for a little bit of context, I had a partner and we were together for six years from when I was 21 to we broke up like right uh, like two months after the pandemic started. And so we met in Los Angeles and we were working on music together. He was an audio engineer and um, Fixer Upper was written actually like years after we had been together. I think it had been four or five years that I was kind of looking back um, on our story and I just got like hit with an inspiration moment. And I wrote the song in 10 minutes and I just sat down and I just told our entire story kind of verbatim. Mm -hmm. It ended up being like poetic, but really like I didn't change any of the original lyric ideas. It was just kind of just came out all at once. Um, But a lot of the imagery in the song has to do with the landscape of Los Angeles. And, um, And at the time I was the time we met, I was kind of struggling. I'd been living in LA for a few years and that was really difficult for me. And, um, I had been coming out of a relationship that was, uh, kind of traumatic and just felt like really low. I was really a broken person. Like in the song, I'm the fixer upper. And the symbolism there is that my partner was always just a huge fan of fixing things up. So he always wanted the car that like didn't run or we'd be at a thrift store, like buying an appliance because we were broke. And, you know, he would always want the broken one because he's like, I can fix it. You know, like he just was handy, uh, kind of unproductive. Actually, a lot of things didn't get fixed, but, um, (laughs) but, um, that was just kind of his personality. So, and I had known him so well at that point, like I said, we had been together four or five years. So I was kind of like looking at our story in retrospect and, uh, and telling it like that. And at that point, you know, we definitely were planning on being together. We had plans to get married or elope. So the song, it was actually his Christmas present that year. I like wrote the song for him and then like performed it. So it's really his song, um, about our story. Oh, that's lovely. That's a lovely story. And it's a great song as well. Thanks. But they all are. The album is 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 terrific. And uh, listeners, if you want to, you can get it on all platforms. You can go via the website as well. 
which is, could give me your website, please, Taylor Ray? Yep, taylorraymusic.com. Yeah, fantastic. So you're now living in Austin, Texas. How are you finding that? That's your, you're loving it. I I love Austin. Yeah, I absolutely love it. And I'm on the road so much that um, it's funny. I really don't play a lot of shows here. It's like the live music capital. Um, But to me, it's really more like a sanctuary. It feels like a place where I like come home to rest for a short amount of time before going back out again. Right now it is extremely hot, so I do have some feelings about that. (laughs) Like my apartment is very old and has single pane windows. So this time of year is a little bit rough, but it's fine because I basically leave every 10 days. Mm -hmm. So So actually moving on, because, you know, you say you're, you're doing a lot of touring and everything. So what are the plans for the rest of this year and beyond? Uh, You're touring a lot to promote your album. Uh, So what, what have you got planned this, as I say, for the rest of this year and moving on beyond that? Yeah. So the rest of this year is just, yep, more touring. I'm doing the Pacific Northwest in July Mm. and then I'm going back out on the road with an artist named Pokey Lafarge. Uh, we did some shows together a couple months ago, and that was really fun. And we're doing a Midwest run in August, and that's like Indiana, Wisconsin, Minneapolis, Grand Rapids, and Chicago. Um, so that will be really nice, and I love that part of the country, especially this time of year. And um, and then after that, I will be going to Americana Fest, and I have some showcases there. And then right after that, we'll be heading the road with Sierra Hull who's an amazing songwriter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I have not met her, but I've heard she's super nice and I'm really excited uh, to be on the road with her. And we're doing like kind of Northeast, mid-Atlantic. I think the, the farthest north we're going to be is Vermont mm-hmm. and then all the way down to Charleston, South Carolina. So uh, after that, I'm not sure, but things are popping up so fast that um, I'm kind of just like a yes person this year. I just signed to a booking agency. So I'm the new kid at school. And in terms of that, so I'm just like, yes, like whatever you want. I have my schedules open to do anything. I'm down to travel anywhere. So hopefully that brings me overseas next year. Uh, That's what I'm really hoping for. I have not been to the UK and I would, just love to go also planning on hopefully doing like a good bit of the festival circuit here in the States with my band next year. That's a big goal. And then end of 2023, I will start working on my next record. Wonderful. I already have enough material to make the record, but I'm just excited uh, to see what new songs come up. I just want to give myself that much time to write new material because I know that so much is going to be happening. And I thought maybe I would lack inspiration or motivation even to songwrite because I'm touring so much, but it's actually been the opposite. Even like, you know, I get back to the hotel after a show and I pull out the guitar and like want to write. So, you know, this time next year, I'm sure I will have even more material that I'm excited about. Um, I'm not exactly sure how I want to do it, And, you know, I'm not planning on trying to sign to a label at this point. I really, really like being independent Um, just because I'm a sole songwriter on my 
all my songs. So it's nice to just have the publishing and not have to share it with a label. <laughs> but if the right deal came up, I'm super open to that. So if that happens, I'm sure um, we will be working together on how the record is done. Yeah. Oh, how very exciting. I hope you'll be able to come back and talk to me again when that one comes out as well. Definitely. And uh, if you ever get over to the UK, we will meet up. It would be lovely to see you. Yes. And I would I'll treat you to some English beer. Yes. That sounds great. <laughs> Which is great. So I'll th- thank you so much, Taylor, for coming on and talking to me today. It's been a real pleasure to chat to you. Likewise. Thanks, Lynn. And uh, I really look forward to to following your career and following you over the next year or so. And who knows, I might be able to get to see a concert if it times right with wherever I am in the US. That would be awesome. Yes, please let me know. I certainly will. Thank you so much and have a lovely day and have a lovely um, rest before you go off on tour again. Thank you so much. Yes, enjoy your vacation. Thank you very much. Thanks, Taylor. Bye-bye. You have been listening to a Lynn Nash Music and Voice production for the Bands in the Boudoir podcast. I do hope you've enjoyed listening and I hope you will come back to listen to further episodes in the future. Thank you very much for tuning in.